back to Nerd Geek Dork. It's our podcast where we talk about the nerdy, geeky, and dorky side of things. I'm Pete the Retailer, and with me, as always, is Al Adam. Hello. Today's exciting episode is oh, uh, is like all that. about... You like <laughs> yeah. I was trying to tie it in, because today's episode is all about Batman the Animated Series. Oof, I've been waiting for this one for a while. Uh, personal favorite show of mine. Um, aired in uh, 1992... And had a very lengthy run across two different networks to 1998. I feel like it's become the uh, seminal version of Batman. Am I using that word right, Pete? Am I screwing that up? Uh, no. No. Seminal is fine, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, sure, why not? Well, because as long as you're talking about everything that came after it. Exactly, yeah. But uh, for this episode, we got some of our friends, uh, two Joes and a Rachel, and a pizza place. No, there's no pizza place. Okay, I'm sorry. We got uh, Joe M, who's been here before, Crazy Joe, and uh, then we got Joe H, who's uh, an old friend of ours, who's making his first appearance on the show. Joey Hugs. Joey Hugs. And Rachel, another old friend of ours, who's making her first appearance. So uh, they had some interesting things to say. They're all big fans of the show. So let's just uh, drop into it. Batman, the animated series. We have to, we have to suffix it with the we animated call it series. BTAS. Yeah, we, we call it BTAS. Batas. Batas. Um, just to distinguish it from, you know, the the Adam West series or anything like that. But uh, Adam West is on the animated series. I know. We're gonna get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it started in what ninety three. I believe. Uh, 92, I think. 92. Yeah, September yeah. 92. September of 92. That's perfect. Because it's... I, st- I still remember where I was sitting the first time I saw that episode. It was great. Where was it? I was sitting in my grandmother's living room, and for some reason I was able to have the TV. I think it was like a Sunday night or something, the first episode. Yes, it they was. did. When they released it originally, Fox was putting on one of their primetime weekend nights. Yeah. yeah. Like at 7... I think it was at 7.30, so if you call that primetime. Yeah, well, yeah. Being a young child, that was prime time for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that was plus, you know, Fox was kind of hurting for material there, right? They would just put anything on. Well, they were they were riding like the wave of uh, the Batman movies too, you know. Right. right, and they really wanted it to be like adult. Thing. Obviously, it was a far more mature than a lot of other cartoons that were on at the time. So they had the idea of putting it on at a uh, prime time. Right, which I, which I think suits it. I mean, it's no, uh, absolutely. It's one of the first. Uh, animated shows that I, that I can think of, at least in America, where you know we had we had stuff in the you know 60s and 70s and 80s where it was you know maybe there would be mainly directed kids. Sometimes there would be kind of a wink and a nod that you know it would be acceptable for adults, mm-hmm. but this was completely acceptable for kids and adults. Like it wasn't pandering and throwing you a bone every once in a while. It was it was completely enjoyable on both levels. Oh, totally. And you know, with that, it wasn't like. I mean, I would say that it was, you know, it was a show that was primarily designed for kids. I mean, even though they put it on primetime, it was part of, like, the weekday lineup of cartoons. Right. But they did, but one thing that the show did do well is it didn't seem written down to children. Right. Yeah. Right. 
you know, it's not like you're reading Roland Barthes, but it's still like entertaining if you're an adult. But I think they got away with a lot of more adult material by putting it in not a modern day easily translatable time period the fact that they made it more old-timey and like golden age looking uh i think they were uh, they got away with a lot more stuff because they had sexiness but the first the first time you see um poison ivy it's like one of those shots that starts with their feet and goes all the way up and it's like hey hey <laughs> yeah so if they had done that with more modern stuff i think it would have been considered more tacky right yeah it's it's interesting because they gave it an older look and it looks like it's from an era where putting guns in a cartoon would have been more acceptable. Yeah. And they also hedged their bets by still having like computers and VCRs and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I feel like it, it take place in the 40s, 50s or something. I, the only reason I say that is because in that one episode, I think it's uh, Paging the Crime Doctor, which we were talking about earlier in an unrelated uh, fashion. Nothing exists outside of this outside of this conversation. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. But uh, Bruce Wayne finds he's looking at like their medical yearbook of his parents and uh, like his father and like Leslie Tompkins and uh, Rupert Thorne's brother, and it's like 1908. I think is the year on it. It's like some really old years. No, I don't. I would just they never specifically establish around what time the show is supposed to be taking place and. It ends up being an interesting transition. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent about the shows that spun out of it. But obviously it has this Art Deco look. But ultimately when Superman happens and then later on Justice League and all of that, that's more modern. Yeah. Of course, even though it's the same universe. Right. Which is something I never really thought about until now. Yeah, and there are uh, – isn't there that episode with the computer game too? Yeah. The, yeah. When, when yeah. the Riddler makes the game. Right. So it, it – yeah. By setting it in this weird kind of detached from any particular time or, you know, any specific era and then giving it this kind of polish that looks like a kind of more, you know, classier, respectable time, if you will. Like, I think that did allow them to get away with a lot more because it's like, oh, it's like, a, you know, it's like an old movie. It's like a gangster yeah. movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you've got this Art Deco look and suddenly it gives you license to put guns even though i think only one person ever gets shot in the series no but they, they changed the rules because in the very beginning they had a few cardinal rules which was you couldn't show blood you couldn't um yeah. hurt any kids and you couldn't have prostitutes and there was something about like something about guns wait a minute uh, are you telling me that they've had a cartoon without prostitutes what, what? And, who's gonna watch <laughs> that yeah <laughs> But that's why the, um, the Mask of the Phantasm was such a big deal, because that's the first time that they showed blood. Yeah. And so it's that fight between the Joker and Batman, and it's like, oh my gosh, they're showing blood coming out of down his nose. Like, that was a huge deal. <laughs> that was Actually, a huge deal. in the pilot, Batman has blood on him when he's smacked around by Man-Bat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. He has a little bit of really? blood coming out of his yeah. mouth. It's like for a second. It's yeah. not yeah. this, like, gigantic. You know, it's not as uh, dramatic as in Mask of the Phantasm, but... Although that could have also been, you know, they aired it in primetime. Possibly. I mean, it was yeah. the pilot. I think it was just sort of like they were trying to get away with it as much as they could. So speaking of the pilot, that's a, if you're making a Batman cartoon, it's weird to start with Man Bat. Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> I know. I'm, I, it's a good episode. It, it's interesting. It's just a weird choice to be like, all right, you know what? We're going we're gonna to pitch a Batman cartoon. We're going to run it in prime time. We're going to go for a, you know, a, a major American audience. Let's use Man Bat. You know what's crazy about it is that you know, the first episode is on Leather Wings, and then I think the next one is Christmas with the Joker. Yeah, and right. I think all right here it's the Joker finally you know even though it's just two episodes in, but on Love the Wings is a much better episode than right. Christmas Joker. No, totally. And it ends up you look back and it seems like such a bizarre choice, but you look back and it's perfect because 
it's a way to establish the different things physically that Batman will go through. And it also kind of gives it a serious tone, which is a weird thing to say when you're talking about an anthropomorphic bat. But <laughs> it definitely does. It lends some legitimacy to it. Um, Especially with the tone, too, because like just like aesthetically. Because yeah. they were they were going on the coattails of the Tim Burton movie. And so this way you could have, because if they started with with the Joker or the Penguin or something, that's a very jokey villain. Right. Whereas if you're starting with Man Bat, you can have, I don't know, shadowy rooms and long shadows and very dramatic scenes. A good thing about the show, like a good testament, is how often characters like Man Bat or Mr. Freeze uh, show up in the comics these days when it's all due to this series. Yeah, it, it's kind of set this kind of archetype going forward. You know, the, the like it defined the a lot of these characters. Yeah, because Mr. Freeze was barely used, and his, yeah. he didn't have, like, this sympathetic origin, you know? It didn't just define a lot of these characters. For a whole generation, it defined Batman. I yeah. can't think of anything since Batman the Animated Series that has come nearly as close to defining Batman. The three things in my lifetime that have completely defined the character are Frank Miller's two works in 86, 87, and this cartoon. Those two works being Year One and Dark Knight Returns? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Batman Year One and Batman and Dark Knight Returns. But those things absolutely defined. And for a generation of kids who weren't necessarily reading comics in the 90s but were watching cartoons... This is Batman. Like, that Batmobile yeah. is the Batmobile. Yep. And if they were to, I think a lot of them, if they were to go and read comics that featured Mr. Freeze afterward, they'd have said, this isn't Mr. Freeze. This isn't Poison Ivy. Right. Yeah. Um, which is why it's great that they did the comics, which I'm sure we'll end up talking about a little bit later. The comics based on the series, which were also the Those best Batman great. comics. Yeah. Yeah. The best I mean, Batman this, comics out there. To this day, if I read like anything with Batman, or if I even think of Batman, it's Kevin Conroy voices Batman. Yeah, Kevin Conroy is the best Batman. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. I no. entirely agree. You know, for as amazing as the Batman animated series was, and it was, and still is, um, and as well as a lot of it holds up, one testament to the show is that the show is so good that you forget the bad episodes, and there were plenty. Oh, There's a few. Yeah. yeah. The one no. where he loses his memory in that, like. Yeah, the forgotten. Yeah. Forgotten's awesome. You got to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't, I don't remember the forgotten. Uh, Can you give me a quick recap? Batman's investigating the disappearance of homeless people, gets conked on the head, gets amnesia. I believe he's in the Matches Malone persona. Yeah. Uh, then he wakes up into in a, like, a work camp that's somewhere in the Southwest and, you know, basically is uh, a slave. Until he decides not to be a slave. Because he's stuck in this box, basically, and all, until all of a sudden his memory comes up back. And it's great because then, like, his voice is different the entire time he has amnesia. But then the second he remembers who he is, it's Kevin Conroy doing Batman again. <laughs> and that voice switch is so great. I think there are only two or three times in the series where you see Batman out of costume as Bruce Wayne, but talking in Batman's voice. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that always stands out to me from that episode. Also, yes. he says son of a gun in a like, show that's in theory a kid's cartoon. And another, <laughs> credit, another credit to Kevin Conroy before him. No one was smart enough to go, hey, Batman and Bruce Wayne shouldn't sound the same because yeah, he's absolutely. the most recognizable person on the planet. Also, any episode that dealt with children in the original run is a bomb. Terrible. The worst episode of the series, the entire series, is... Um, I got Batman uh, in my basement. Uh, no, no, no. No, I, I no, no, no. 
I was going to say, um, I can't remember the name of it now. It's going to kill me. The, the one with uh, the kids in the sewer. Dwellers. Underdwellers? The Underdwellers, thank you. The Underdwellers is the worst episode of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. When they first started, there were 65 episodes in the first season, and they okay. use a lot of different animation um, companies. And yeah. one or two, they ended up firing. because Some of the episodes comparatively looked terrible. They were just really inconsistent. No, there are episodes where the characters just go off-model constantly, where Batman just kind of looks, like, bloated. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to see Tubby Batman. <laughs> yeah. Unless he's got his own show. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's called Tubby Batman. And it's called Tubby Batman. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's called Tubby Batman. <laughs> so that first season, they used a bunch of different companies. But then as it progressed, there, there are a lot of shows, you know, that as it goes on, they'll try to save money by, you know, cheaping out the animation. And I seem to recall that by the end of the run, when uh, it moved from Fox to, what was it, was it WB, I think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, CWWB, whatever. Yeah. It wasn't yeah, it was the CW back then. That's Jay. right, it was WB back then. Come I on, had the I'm sorry. Hey, hey, save this for the WB episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when they moved there, uh, moved networks, I think they also cut the budget significantly, right? And then so the animation looked cheaper. It looked more kind of like traditional. It's like you know, very streamlined, very like '80s brighter, cartoon fare. Definitely brighter. Well, I mean, yes, the budget's cheaper, but they redesigned all the characters. So with the angular designs of the characters, it's it. You know, there were some better episodes than there were others, but I think I would almost say that the consistency was better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the animation consistency actually was much better, yeah. Well, yeah. I shouldn't say much, but, like, well, within that style of animation, it was consistent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but having said that, they took away a lot of the bells and whistles in the show, and they did this before it got to, like, they did this gradually, but remember the original 65 had, like, these neat little title card paintings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and all that went away. Some of the redesigns weren't that great. The, the Scarecrow was amazing. That was yeah. the best part Very by creepy. far. Yeah. But what they did to Poison Ivy, they took all the sexy away. They just turned her wayfish and bright green, which really, how well, can they, you blend in? Yeah, they took the sexy out of a lot of the females, though. They just made them very tiny, petite, like, I don't know, it was they weird. They made them very pixie-ish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Joker, they took away his face, and that killed me. Because of the budget cuts when they moved to the WB, they had to change the Joker's look drastically because they just changed the animation style so much that the old way just wouldn't have fit, but it was really unfortunate anyway. Yeah, but they did add um, Nightwing to the show, so you know. It's true, and I like I like Nightwing's music too. Yeah. <laughs> One thing we haven't talked about actually, we're talking about the look of the show is obviously the um, the Burton Batman films were a huge influence and the reason that the cartoon was even made, but more so probably was the Superman Fleischer cartoons. Oh like, yeah, that's where the Art Deco look comes from. Definitely, it's a good mix of that kind of Burton style with the Fleischer style. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, under we we just touched on it briefly right now, but the uh, the music was kind of toned to the, it was uh, Shirley Walker was the was she uh, Danny Elfman's assistant or something on the uh, uh, the Batman movies or she worked with him, kind of doing the scoring on that. Yeah, I don't know the nature of their working relationship there, but I, it was some, they worked together in some yeah. capacity. And, she did and that show work. had a 12-piece orchestra, like in the first 65. Like, yep. yeah. It wasn't all synthesized. It was a small orchestra, but even a small orchestra on like a daily cartoon is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah and some episodes are so driven by their music, too. Like The Last Laugh, the one with the barge, has that like... Uh... Oh, the one with the terrible music score? <laughs> No! What are That's you talking the about? The score to the last laugh is horrific. I love the music in that episode. <laughs> Ooh. 
thing that the show did, and I guess this is what, what you get from having two, you know, smart, knowledgeable people in charge of it, is that they were able to just literally distill everything that they liked from Batman and chop away all the, like, flotsam. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, where, you know, you had aspects from, like, and even they would do things like there are many episodes that are based on actual issues of the comic, but they would combine them well a lot of the times or add something from one, add, like, something from one issue and put it into another issue, like uh, The Laughing Fish. Oh, right. great. Yeah. yeah. Has the, the Laughing Fish has, is the uh, only episode. I think The Laughing Fish is the only episode in the first 65 that doesn't have a title card. Huh. Oh, oh yeah, because it's just the, the flapping... Uh, yeah, it's just a flapping sign. It just says yeah. The Laughing Fish. I'm almost certain that's the case, but I would have to look that up. Yeah, but the chart sequence comes from a, uh, you know, from the, from the issue uh, Batman's Five-Way Revenge. Yeah. Or Joker's Five-Way Revenge, excuse me. That's a that's a Neil Adams story, right? That's the one. Oh yeah, with, that's uh, a, the Adams and Neil story. Uh, yeah, that's the one with the cover with uh, the Joker looming large behind the. Um, I think he's maybe behind the playing card. I don't remember, but yeah, that's Denny O'Neill and, right. <laughs> and Neil Adams. You know, I'm not a fan in general of you know relaunches and and uh, you know all new, all different. <laughs> <Hey, Batman. laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan in general of Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I like I'm this show. You guys, it's crazy. <laughs> Have you seen this guy? He's got all kinds of shit on his belt. <laughs> What is he, a plumber? <laughs> no, I was going to say I'm not a fan of relaunches, uh, you know, for, for, you know, new and different sake. But uh, in this instance, you know, it did give them a good opportunity to not be bogged down by the continuity. And, and like we said, that, you know, the Batman Adventures uh, comic that came out with it was the best Batman book coming out of the time because all the Batman issues that DC, DC was uh, publishing were just suffering from this just slog of, of you know, like, Plot's gone wrong and, and, you know, like all kinds of stuff. That was during Nightfall and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there was just so much kind of dragging them down and making them, I mean, they were, you know, they were selling fine, I'm sure. But it was just so, like, uh, so refreshing just to have this, this, you know, the cartoon and the, the, the Batman Adventures, you know, comic series just be free of all that weight and just be able to tell this great story about, okay, here's a good Joker story. Okay, here's a good Clayface story, you know. Right. It was nice <laughs> yeah. to have in that comic. It was nice to have just standalone every month. You just got a complete story. Right. It's just something that doesn't happen almost ever in comics now, and wasn't happening much in the early to mid '90s. Certainly. No, not at all. For the most part, it hasn't gotten that much better in comics. It's probably gotten worse because there's like everything is tied into the next crossover. Oh no, it's absolutely gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the only thing you can, I mean, for good or for ill, now comics are being written more for the trades. Trades, yeah. Um, and, you know, we could discuss the pros and cons of that, but that would not have anything to do with Batman the Animated Series. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we already said that, that Batman is pretty much, you know, the definitive Batman for a lot of people uh, from this, the Kevin Conroy kind of animated Batman. But also... You can all agree, the linchpin character on the show was obviously Rupert Thorne. Come <laughs> 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 on, I mean, it goes without saying, really. Um, the Tubby Bob boss was really the character that I think everybody cared about. I want to. I want to start. Can I start by just saying the few, like the small handful of characters that I think their definitive uh, iterations are from this show? Um, the Joker, of course. Batman, of course. Mister Freeze. Right. Oh yeah. The Riddler. I don't think the Riddler's ever been smarter. It's just like the way he's written, and, and we can get into that. Yeah. And uh, I want to say Two Face. Every once in a while, I'm I'm a little torn on Two Face, but. He was, he was just great on the show. It's appropriate to be torn on Two-Face. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were making a joke. Yeah. The, Two-Face, the Two-Face origin episode is an incredibly strong episode. 
It also is. Also, the yeah. first deaths on the show. It's so well animated, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, that one is that killed. one's fantastic. You know, um, I think it's mostly forgotten about now, but uh, at the time that the show was coming out, there were, I think, four Clayfaces. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think five actually. Yeah, five. Yeah. There was Lady Clayface. Was yeah, <laughs> and they were they were like what two or three two faces, weren't there? Or were they just two? Well, he had two faces. Right. right. I mean, there was another one. That's four faces. <laughs> yeah, I hate you guys so much. <laughs> With Clayface, as they're saying, they managed to condense like aspects of all of them into just one character. Yeah, and wonderfully, and you know, beautifully, particularly in his origin episode. Oh yeah, the final moments of that episode are amazing when he's trying to handle all the visions of his past roles no watching that as when i was younger i was like i don't know 11 12 when i came on i teared up like that was amazing to me when he fakes his death yeah it's Mm. a beautiful scene there's a few that i got really emotional watching that's what i was gonna say it did manage to convey you know the styling gave it you know made it feel more serious to begin with but uh, also, I mean, excellent writing and, and these kind of strong archetypical characters did give it a chance to be really emotional at times. Right. I mean, Batman has, even before the cartoon, Batman had the best rogues gallery of any character in comics, except for maybe Spider-Man. But again, that's, a, that's another podcast. Hmm. A great moment with uh, Batman's rogues gallery. Well, there's two. I'll, I'll build up to the better one. But uh, the episode with uh, Hugo Strange... Where he uh, he has Batman's secret identity on tape, and he calls like the Joker, the Penguin, and uh, Two Face. Also based on an issue of the comics. Yeah, um, that was the first time I'd ever heard of that character, Hugo Strange. Yeah, I I had never read a comic that he was in before yeah. that. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> and let me, wait, wait, wait. Let me let me guess. You know the reason. I, I, it just so happens that I do. All right. <laughs> um, because the character, prior to being used in uh, the Marshall Rogers, Steve Englehart run, mm-hmm. the character's appearance prior to that was in 1940. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And he's used in that, like, he's used for the issue that they would uh, make that episode of the show with. And I believe in that issue, Hugo Strange dies. And then his ghost uh, stalks Rupert Thorne. So <laughs> that's why you never really read much about Hugo Strange. All right. <laughs> gotcha. Another character that I, you know, I, I knew of but wasn't really familiar with until the animated series and played a huge part in it was Rachel Ghoul. No. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, he was. I think that would be the definitive uh, Rachel Ghoul would yeah. be like. Oh yeah, the, the, oh, Batman, you know, Joker, and him are, the, I think, my favorites, and I think my all-time favorite episode would be the. Um, the Demon's Quest two-parter. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. So beautiful. That's, uh, that episode is actually written by, I mean, it's based on the Denny O'Neill comics, and it's almost, I don't want to say it's panel for panel, but it's really close oh, to yeah. the comics. And that episode, basically, it's written by Denny O'Neill. Like, mm. When you see the writing credits in there, um, the man who created Ray al Ghul. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It works so well. But it just, you know, we can get into individual characters, but just as a whole... I think that, aside from the fact that, again, regardless, outside of this cartoon, Batman has a fantastic Rose Gallery, but they really focus on the fact that the guys he goes up against, the people he, Batman faces, most of them are incredibly tragic figures. Yeah. yeah. Most of his villains are villains by virtue of the fact that they had one bad day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so many of them just had this one unimaginably awful thing happen to them. And in that way, they're connected to Batman and they're just the other side of the coin from Batman because he had this one unbelievably awful day 
and it turned him into a hero. And for the rest of them, it just drove them insane. You could argue it drove Batman insane as well. But again, that's a different podcast. Yeah. In, but, uh, in, in the long run, they all could have been better off if they just got over it. <laughs> <laughs> if, if they had just manned up a little this bit. Yeah. <laughs> if there had just been a good ice cream shop in Gotham. Yeah. <laughs> Victor Freeze could have ran it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> character that um as far as i know has not been in the comics and i but who i truly love and she's in both episodes one written by steve gerber baby doll oh man that episode is tough yeah yeah i don't wait i don't remember baby doll baby doll is basically a vicious female gary coleman yep oh okay (laughs) yeah literally i mean that's exactly what she is and the ending hey baby doll when she goes into the house of mirrors that's another moment deeply affecting it's perfect. And then just and when she cries and Batman's like... Yeah. yeah. And the second episode she's in, written by the Gerb, she starts dating Killer Croc. Which is awesome. Yeah. You feel so bad for her over the course yeah. of that episode. <laughs> Croc turns out to be not the most emotionally supportive boyfriend in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like she catches him cheating on her yeah. and all this other stuff. But that's another episode where all of a sudden when she talks in her adult voice to Croc, when she's just going to blow up the city, it is... It's again, it's affecting. I hate to keep using that word, but it absolutely is. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. Let's keep going. I think we should keep going with different characters who were created in this series. Renee Montoya. Yeah. Is, yeah. Well, that, that's um, my, my, the two that I had written kind of start at the top, you know, Harley Quinn and Renee Montoya, which we yeah. should go into these because if we, if we do a whole episode and just gloss over Harley Quinn by just saying, like, yeah, and Harley Quinn, then somebody's going <laughs> to get mad. <laughs> They'd have every right to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all our fans will be riding in the streets. Uh, so Harley Quinn is is like a phenomenon. It, it, it yeah. kind of transcends you know the show and the you know and even the comics. It's just become this kind of new icon. If you were a girl who worked in a comic book store in 1993, you dressed up as Harley Quinn in, in, for Halloween. It's funny yep. you said that because I was just about to say cosplay is so dominated by Harley Quinn. Yeah, and has been for so long to the point where they changed her look. For the new Fifty Two DC's relaunch a couple of years back, people were furious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. she's she's in another heartbreaking episode though, the one where she gets paroled. Yeah. Oh, and she's trying to be good. Yeah, yeah, like she's doing her best, and one bad thing happens. Right. Uh-huh. And it it's great at the end where you know Batman buys her the dress that she she actually paid for. I guess he picked it up for her because she paid for it. Well, what's great about that episode, going back to talking about one bad day, is when he gives her the dress. The whole thing is she um she's trying to be normal. She goes into a store in the mall with her hyenas and buys a dress. And they forget to take the tag off, and then she they she thinks that they think that she was trying to steal it, and she just snaps and becomes Harley Quinn again. But when he goes to uh, Arkham, when he takes it Arkham back to Arkham for another round of rehabilitation, and he gives her the dress, what he says to her is, "I had a bad day too once," mm-hmm. oh, yeah, and that just goes back it. to the whole idea of the difference between Batman and all of his villains. Right. Um, and that's when she gets really excited and she actually gives him a big kiss and it's really awkward and everyone's embarrassed. Well, first she gives him a kiss like on the cheek or something, right? And then she's like, oh, like her eyebrow raises and then she just goes for it. Right, because she's been so obsessed with the Joker for years. And I think that was the first time she realized, wait, Batman's incredibly sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also all of that, um, the lesbian. Uh... I was about to go into that, too, actually. Because yeah. yeah. there's there's uh, there's the episode with Harley and Ivy 
which yeah. you know was pretty much the beginning of that. They're hanging yeah. out, you know, in t-shirts and and no pants and and getting angry at the patriarchy. Um, but there's there's some uh, they they hinted the fact that they they might be together. Yeah. Well, then he said they basically were. He said yeah, like, they just yeah. couldn't. They went as far as they could in the cartoon, but that was yeah. absolutely the point. Yeah, which but is funny because it was Montoya, the one that they outed as a lesbian in the comics. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah, she's a lesbian. Two Face was pissed off. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, he found yeah, out and then true. he outed her and then he kidnapped her and ruined her life so that she would have to be with him. Wow. Didn't work out so well for him though. Now, if you told me like, all right, yeah, in the new Batman cartoon, uh, uh, you know, these two female villain characters are hanging out in uh, you know t-shirts and their underwear, and then they, uh, you know. It's hinted that they're lesbian lovers, and then they go out on a, on a, on a crime spree. It and sounds like it, fight. what's that? And then have a pillow fight. Yeah, they have a pillow fight. <laughs> you know, I would bet you. You know, it's like eighty percent. I'm sure that that's like exploitive, and it's just you know, you picture kind of you know, forty year old comic book writers just being like, oh, maybe they're in their underwear. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's not at all. It's but so it's, like no, they're, that's they're, a great point. You're absolutely right. They're yeah. strong characters, and they're you know, they're real. Uh, you know, like fleshed out, like like people. Oh no, totally. Yeah, you know, partially because they don't. You know, they, as Rachel said, they don't go all the way with it. There is this sort of there's a sweetness to it too. Or like Ivy legitimately cares that uh, that uh, Harley is being abused by her boyfriend. Yeah, right. Because her boyfriend's psychotic. Right. Yeah. That's true. The versions of the characters that they used in in the Batman the Animated Series. Let me just say the title again so we can we know what we're talking about still. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about the Wendigo. No. <laughs> uh, you know, the versions that they used, the way that they did it is is a way that, you know, I, I'm always arguing is something that, you know, Hollywood tends to ignore, that Hollywood would be would be well served, I think, to to kind of utilize that same method where it's not it's not a complete transformation it's just taking the character kind of whittling it down you know these characters didn't necessarily look exactly like a previous incarnation you know they weren't just an exact copy of an old you know version of their costume or whatever from an old comic but they they still looked like oh oh yeah that's mr freeze you know what i mean like there's no questioning that yeah and then you know, Hollywood, they'll go through and they'll be like, oh, what, what do people like, Mr. Freeze? All right, let's take them. Let's just make them completely different. Yeah. And uh, we'll throw them in there with three other three other characters. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the animated series is taking, uh, it looks like Mr. Freeze, and then they give him the time, you know, they take the time to tell a good Mr. Freeze story. Just one. Yeah, they, they even did an animated movie with Mr. Freeze that I still think is great. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, Sub-Zero is a beautiful movie. Yeah, yeah Sub-Zero is underappreciated. I agree. I, mean, I may be mistaken, but... The animated series brought the whole concept of Nora, uh, Mr. Freeze's yeah. into the character. I was just wondering. Yeah, that, that, was, was, all, that was all the animated series. That's all the animated series, right. Okay. Yeah, like prior to that, it was just like, I created an ice gun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and there was this aspect, too, where they turned him, like, you know, Mr. Freeze is, also has the unique trick of being sympathetic and really, like, robotic. I mean, basically, you know, not to be reductive, but Mr. Freeze is basically the Terminator on the Batman. Yeah. Yeah, the Batman animated series. He's right. like an unstoppable force who has, you know, who has empathy about one thing and one thing only. I mean, I don't think anybody would think he's a major character by any stretch of the imagination. But like the most major thing about him prior to uh, Batman the animated series was 
That Eli Wallach and Otto Preminger playing him on the '60s show. That 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 brings me to sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into this. No, that's okay. the Gray Ghost. I was waiting oh, for that yeah. segue. Was, yeah, because <laughs> the Gray Ghost is is an amazing episode. It really uh, is. Yeah, it's and it's great because come on, it's Adam West. <laughs> yeah, it's like you <laughs> know a guy who's been uh, typecasted as this hero he played for years, and shows us where he's at these days. And was literally voiced by Adam West. Yeah, yeah. it was great. Well, I'm sure that was incredibly cathartic for him. <laughs> yeah. It, it it really is one of my favorite episodes of that show. Like, it's just, I don't know, there's something about it. Maybe because I grew up watching the 1960s series on reruns all the time. So it's like, I don't know. Right. Well, it's a wonderfully written episode. I mean, yeah. I, I think that may be why it gets you. Yeah, no, yeah, I, good. exactly. No, it's... <laughs> It stands on its own, even without nostalgia. It stands on its own is, in my opinion, one of the ten best episodes of the series. Yeah, but yeah. The I mean, casting you, really kicks it up a notch and makes it so poignant. I mean, that's such perfect casting. I don't think that episode would be as appreciated if it. Agreed. Had that yeah. You know, the um, Great Ghost brings up something else about the show, particularly the original sixty-five episodes, which was how many different types of episodes of Batman the Animated Series there were. Yeah, it was so versatile. You're right. Like they yeah. could do humor, they could do stuff that was touching, they could do stuff that was scary. There um, are tons of episodes that don't have like you know not. I mean, that don't really have a villain. Maybe I mean a mob boss, but don't have like a Joker or something. Yeah, yeah. Like there were episodes that were you know just like you know noir pastiches or like uh, Warner Brothers pastiche, uh, Warner Brothers gangster pastiches. Like yeah, I mean it was really versatile, and they really, real like yeah, like the Hardak character. Oh, I'm so glad you want you brought that up. Yeah, because oh, Silicon Soul is like <laughs> one of my favorite two-parters. You know, it's funny. I saw that episode before I saw Blade Runner. Huh. Me too. So I saw that, and then when I watched Blade Runner, it fucked me up. Like once I heard his voice. Yeah, the toy maker. I was like, oh my god, now I get that. You know what I mean? Well, there are a couple of Hard Act episodes. The first is a two-parter. I believe it's just called Hard Act. Yeah, the first one I think is just hard. No, act. the first one's called His Silicone Soul, isn't it? No, that's, that's, that's the second the, one. That's the second that's the arc. Second, that's, that's what yeah. the okay. Batman apologize. Is All right. Yeah. Yeah, the first one's just called Hard Act, and it's uh, basically, uh, you know, an uh, inventor builds this giant supercomputer that is building, for lack of a better term, life model decoys to impersonate uh, major citizens in Gotham City. But, like, Hard Act, it's sort of like one half Blade Runner and one half Metropolis. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really, really. I mean, you know, and it's a and it's a total science fiction episode. I mean, like I said, like it, there is no genre that that show would not do. I think they started doing a lot of things that they couldn't get the okay for beforehand. Like they didn't think they'd be able to give enough time to the origin, but by the end, they were just throwing characters out all the time. Yeah, they just said screw it. Yeah. The oh. only character I can think of who isn't directly related to the Batman universe who shows up in the original '65 is Zatanna. I think, yeah. Right. Yeah. Zatanna, Zatara, and Jonah Hex. All right. And Jonah. Yeah. Hex. Oh, the Jonah Hex episode is great. The sh- showdown. Yeah. I was going to get to, which is actually also a Rachel Gould episode. I wanted yeah. to bring that one up because Showdown is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but and in the Zatanna episode, it's so funny because I think at the time, I don't know if they didn't have the confidence in themselves to do it or if they were just under restrictions, but. They didn't. I guess they just didn't like the idea of Batman interacting with characters who had superpowers, except for his villains, of course, because Zatanna is just a magician. There's nothing special. But then later on, 
when she's in Justice League, she can do all the stuff she can in the comics. She says stuff backwards and just makes yeah. magic happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's just a performance magician in that episode, which was really interesting. And the, the Jonah Hex one, that wasn't time traveler or anything, right? That was just. It was like Ra's al Ghul telling the tale of his son. Right. Yeah. And they managed to do a Jonah Hex episode without having Jonah Hex hold a gun at any point. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. And he has a holster, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he never holds a gun. The second run had some gems, I'll say. You know, the second, it wasn't all uh, amazing. But uh, Over the Edge is probably one of the greatest oh, minutes oh, of animated. So beautiful. It's it's a great masterpiece. Have you ever seen that one, Pete? Uh, I think so. Is this the one where it's like a... Uh, uh, Don't spoil it. Yeah, I'm trying to... This I'm is the one where to... everything goes nuts. Yeah, yeah it, it, like, it's, it's, it's the darkest... Scarecrow on the roof. It yeah. starts well, out and everything's crazy. It's almost like um, No Place Like Springfield, where it's just like, you know... The, the... Exactly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually watched that episode, certain scenes, I've watched them like frame by frame, just slow motion. It's there's there's a scene when uh Gordon is driving in the cop car to the scene of the crime, and there's a just watching the reflection of the buildings against the glass and the light going around on top of the car, and then the sequence that follows right after that, it's astounding. Mm-hmm. I when I was watching that episode that Saturday morning, I <laughs> literally screamed i was in my room watching it and i screamed oh shit when that happened <laughs> Wait, <laughs> like, was that, was that, i thought i felt that was a weekday episode or maybe i guess i just saw it when i first came home from uh from I school think, yeah, I that was during that run those episodes were on on during the week and on saturday so and you could saturday, see them either day yeah. uh, how, how much can we kind of describe the episode with, with dancing around the yeah like how we're yeah, not talking about to, that moment <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I, I had the same reaction, Joe. Though I was just like, "Wait, what the fuck just happened?" And the way the way they they showed it too, you know, I wasn't expecting it to be depicted like that. It's a punch in the stomach. It was, is. It's graphic. It's very yeah. graphic. Yeah, I was watching it at home and I screamed, "Oh shit!" And she's like, "What is wrong with you?" Yeah, <laughs> I would say that's on par with the um, Re- Revenge of the Joker. That brutal, that creepy. Yeah. Yeah, and just Batman's progression through that episode, too, like when he's fighting Bane, and Bane was great in that episode, too, even though he had the whole S&M look going on. But <laughs> when he goes to Batman, he's like, hey, fight to the death. He just says it doesn't matter anymore. Exactly. Yeah. It's just yeah. so good. Because crazy things happen in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're not telling you what they are. I think, oh, it's so good. I think I saw it years later, like after the fact, it was in, you know, reruns or whatever. And, uh, uh, I just, you know, happened to be flipping around and I had kind of dismissed, you know, offhand dismissed the, the all the later kind of, you know, the WB episodes. But then I watched this and I was just completely, you know, wrapped. I was just like, oh, my God, just sat there, watched the whole thing. And then I'm pretty sure I called one of you two, Joes. They <laughs> <laughs> did not uh, call me. Yeah. Although maybe Joe, I might have, Joe Hughes, I might have lived with you at the time. So I might yeah, have I just. Thinking, I think we were living together because I remember this now. I might have waited for you to come home and be like, oh my God, have you seen this episode? <laughs> <laughs> you may have watched my DVDs. <laughs> that could have been. Yeah. And I, 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 tend, I would tend to like share that episode with people. Like I'd be like, uh, most recently it was back in over this past summer. My friend was just hanging out in my apartment and she started talking about Batman. And I was like, you know what? Just give me a second. I like ran downstairs to my room, got the DVD out, and I was like, "We just have to watch this, all right? Just, just, <laughs> just let's just watch this." And she was like, "What's the big deal?" And as soon as that moment happened, she was like, "They really do that?" 
hopefully somebody listening to this is getting, uh, you know, their interest peaked and not just getting bored of like, what the hell are they talking yeah, about? Talking <laughs> over about the edge. Yeah, yeah, over the edge. Just watch over the edge if you haven't if you haven't seen it. seem to be more familiar with the comic book side of things than I am and everyone seems to be saying that there were a lot of characters that got a lot more depth in the cartoon um, in Batman the Animated Series than they did in the comic book Why, wouldn't it make more sense being a cartoon that that's where it would be more action and yeah and, and, a, and a monthly comic book where you had to write something new every month and you had that much more time to develop characters and action is less interesting in panels than it is moving like why do you think it's just they got – is it just a case of having really good writers or – Well, it's a lot of things, I think. I don't think there's a simple answer to that. But again, that's a testament to the strength of the cartoon. Yeah. But um, they just had fantastic people working on it um, from Paul Dini to Bruce Timm to Eric Radomski. Is it, but is it a cherry-picking thing, you think? Like they just had – since everyone did so much work before, they could just cherry-pick Yeah, it that's definitely a lot of it. I mean they could – but again, they weren't bogged down by continuity. Right. So they yeah. could just kind of go in and do the stuff that worked well. You know, they could say, all right, this is good, this is good, this is good. We'll use these elements and expand on them. We won't address this at all because it's stupid, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if you are writing in the DC universe, if you're writing comic books in the DC universe, you are made, you shouldn't have to, but you're kind of made to deal so it's continuity. too scary to, to get too much into depth because you could be stepping on someone else's continuity toes. Yeah. So it's or, easier to make everything kind of light and surface because too much backstory and too much motivation could change something someone else wrote, I guess. Right. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I also think a lot of um a lot of Batman's classic characters came from a time where you know the stories were, you know, between 7 and 10 pages, so you didn't really have time for an origin, you had time for Let's get this villain out there and have him do stuff. Yeah. Um, The only villain, I think the only villain they use in the animated series, at least the only major villain, who they don't do an origin episode for is the Joker. Penguin. Oh, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. Penguin doesn't get an origin episode either. Yeah. They kind of touch on it a little with... uh, Birds of a Feather? Yeah. And with Joker, with uh, Mask of the Phantasm, they show you like he was like this low, like, you know, like an enforcer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a good part of it is continuity, and a good part of it is also, you know, cherry picking good writers. Because if there's if there's a Batman cartoon happening, you know, as even though it's the source material, as yeah. as popular as comics can be, they're nowhere near the size of the TV audience. So, you know, if you got a Batman okay. story, you're going to take it to the you know your friends who are doing the Batman show, and not the people who are doing the Batman comic, because you can make more money doing the Batman show. If you're if you're producing an animated television show and you, you know, have pretty much carte blanche. And it's so much work to like, you know, it's so much work to produce anything, let alone something, let alone like an anime, 65 episodes of an animated show that you have like a year deadline for. Why would you even think about doing, putting something in there that you didn't like unless you're forced to? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I've um, seen a lot of forced to many times, hence the episodes with a bunch of little kids in them. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how many, you know, issues of comics have you seen that you can identify that? All right, this is just filler. You know, they yeah. just needed to put out an issue this month yeah whereas there is so much you know there's a lot more behind an animated episode so Uh, you know even though they all had their individual credits 
you know, the creative staff of Batman, it seemed to be that it was pretty much a group effort. Right. Yeah. Um, where, you know, if Steve Englehart or somebody writes a comic book, it's Steve Englehart writing a comic book and, you know, the artist may or may not have ideas. But, uh, you know, you're not always your own best critic where the one of the strengths of committee is somebody could say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that's yeah. true. One person we didn't talk about, um, unfortunately, and I just want to bring it up real quick. There are so many people who contributed to this show who you could spend an hour just talking about their contribution. Yeah. But Andrea Romano, the, the, voice, the casting right. director, the voice director of Batman the Animated Series, and really damn near every great cartoon, American yeah. cartoon, of the, of the last 20 years. Yeah. You know, she did Batman the Animated Series, she did Tiny Toons, she did Animaniacs, and all the shows that spun out of those these days. She did Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Like, almost every great American cartoon you can look at uh, since she starred, since Batman the Animated Series, you can say, oh, wow, uh, Andrea Romano was the voice director that she does the boondocks for God's sake. Like, and yeah, she every came show. Out with that, um, that Batman movie, the um, Dark Knight Return, uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns, uh, Frank Miller adaptation thing came out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a voice um, direction for that, but she's just every. There's no character on Batman the animated series who I look at and I say, man, so and so's voice could be better. I think of someone who would be. Do a better job. Yeah, like, Rich, just no Richard thing. Mole is Two Face. Mole, yeah. right? That's yeah. his last name. Yeah. He's yeah, great. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, um, and it, even when it's people that yep. you know well and you recognize, you know, you would recognize them in pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you don't necessarily recognize them off the bat until you read their voice, their their name in the credits at the end because they yeah. just become the character that they are. Yeah, Adrian Barbeau is Catwoman. That's perfect. Yeah, That's perfect. Um. One of my favorite things to Mark do, Campbell, of course, is the Joker. Mark Campbell right. is, is the Joker. But one of my favorite things to do when I was watching a Justice League cartoon and Justice League Unlimited was once the credits started, if I was watching it um, you know, on DVD or record or something, I would pause in the credits to see, see. who did each voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, I've been doing that now because I'm going through uh, Unlimited again since it's on Netflix Instant. Yeah, and that's, that's Andrea Romano. She's better at what she does than anyone else. Yep. Oh, yeah. No, she did a fantastic job. So, somebody who is completely intrigued by our discussion of episodes, uh, they can't go watch them, can they? It's is not it? on Netflix. It's not on Netflix. No. no. The, the Justice League Unlimited stuff is definitely worth checking out. Yeah, that's on Netflix. Batman Beyond is on Netflix. Also worth checking out. Classic so, Justice. You can still get the Batman. Yes. You can get the Batman DVDs. It's just not on Netflix streaming. You know, yeah. you can have Netflix send you the DVDs, and I would highly recommend that because right. yeah. you know. And another thing that really makes the Batman cartoon stand out so much is when you put it up against the other cartoons of that era that were comic book related. I mean, you look at the Spider-Man and the X-Men cartoons, and they're garbage. Compared yeah, to they out. do not hold up. Oh no! As much as I want them to, they do not. Well, and I, I don't think they were particularly bad for. The, they were just kind of standard for their era. They were like, all right, well, we got to do an X Men cartoon, so let's get you know, uh, we'll, we'll just have some standard stories, and we'll get you know, get a bunch of the characters in there so we can sell toys. Yeah, and I, I don't think they were necessarily terrible. But then this Batman cartoon comes along that just changes the entire game. Uh, but, but I mean, the the fallacy of that argument is that you know they were of their time, but Batman the animated series is at the same damn time. Right, right. Yeah. But I'm saying it's Batman true. raised the bar so yeah. significantly, like that everything else was at this kind of lower level. 
Oh, no, I mean, and I'll give X-Men a pass because I believe that, you know, I believe that debuted, if not the same year, then within one year. Like, I, it's logical that X-Men would have been in production as the Batman series was uh, being aired. Right. Yeah. But, like, Spider-Man had no excuse. To anyone yeah. who's listening to this, also look up Robin's Reckoning. I just realized we never talked about that. That's, yeah, that's unfortunate because Robin's Reckoning, I think, was the first episode that won, like, that episode won an Emmy, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Like, Batman won four or five Emmys for Best Animated Series, but I think that episode specifically, Robin's Reckoning, was award-winning on a number of levels and is a standout for many people, telling the origin of Dick Grayson. They handled Bruce Wayne, the relationship between Batman and Robin, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, incredibly well. And that's something we didn't really discuss at length or at all, but they handled it really well in that series. Because you have this guy who is frankly, just in a really dark place in Batman, interacting with this kid in his late teens, pretty much, who is just pretty much, despite the fact that he also had a really tragic origin, surprisingly upbeat and, frankly, far more well-adjusted than Batman. Right, yeah. Um, like, he doesn't let the tragedy that happened to him ruin his life the way that Bruce Wayne does. And that might be partially because he saw what it did to Bruce and decided he couldn't be that. Um, but when you have those two played against each other in the series, just there are scenes in that show where it's just Batman and Robin interacting in the cave or the two of them in the Batmobile just talking, and it's great. One of my favorite moments of the Batman animated series universe was the first cartoon crossover between that and Superman. Uh, World's Their Fires. meeting yeah. is the oh best. man, yeah. that was so well written, and they combined the two and the oh my god! The, no, the first time they meet in that episode, where Superman tries to stop him from beating up Thug, Batman literally just throws him across the room, and Superman is just stunned to yeah. the point where yep. he almost doesn't move for a second. Like he <laughs> can't believe that someone just threw him like that. The you peaked line when uh, yeah, and looks in with X ray vision. Yeah. Yeah, and then the, the 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 you know the the sting to that where like Superman goes home and he like puts on his puts on his Clark Kent costume, and then he looks out his window and he sees Batman waving at him with a pair of binoculars. <laughs> Batman waits. Batman waits for him to notice him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which is such a a Batman thing. That, yeah, which, it's such a Batman thing to do. Which is really? interesting. What yeah. I was going to say was a dick move, but really they mean the same things. Yeah, it's a Bruce move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that was our episode about Batman, the animated series. I think uh, we had lots of good stuff to say. I, I like the way that went. <laughs> well, I say we. I, I feel like everybody had lots of good stuff to say. More Them more so than me, I think. I was I was probably the least familiar with it uh, out of all of us, but uh, still. Yeah, and aside from uh, Crazy Joe foolishly stating that the music from The Last Laugh is awful, um, I have no real arguments with anything. <laughs> you know what the best part of being the co-host of the show is? You get the last laugh. <laughs> Good one. There it is. All right, like so we'll be back uh, in about two weeks or so with another episode. All right, sounds not, good. I'm not going to tell you what it is because sometimes we get in trouble that way. So Yeah, it happens. Damn. But uh, hopefully you'll be back. Join us then. And until then, we'll see you later. Adios. Adios.
Let me tell you, oh man, Dick Grayson likes rock and roll music, he has a crush on Wonder Girl, he's a fan of the Beatles, but you know, uh, he likes drag racing, and he also surfs. So shut thy tongue, sir. 